Hello, friend, and welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And today you are listening to a special replay from April 2021 when I invited my dear friend, uh, Doc Mar from the Netherlands, to join me here on the podcast. Doc Mar had some really great questions about faith. She shared her own personal journey. And I love that Doc Mar is like family to me. And we have a special relationship. So I have very much enjoyed listening to these episodes multiple times myself. And as we prepare for season five coming up in February, Lord willing, um, I wanted to share some of my favorite episodes with you as we prepare. So I hope you enjoy. Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, after having been through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Well, welcome back to the Fighting Something Real podcast, friend. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And I wanted to start today by asking you, my listener, to put yourself in my April's co-host shoes. Um, my April co-host shoes. If you wanted to know if Jesus Christ offered something real, but your culture and upbringing said otherwise, and you didn't know a whole lot of Christians, what questions would you have about faith? Friend, I'm excited you're listening in for season four, where I'm inviting co-hosts and guests on to share their stories and also asking guests to address some of my co-hosts' honest questions. Last week, I introduced my lovely April co-host. Her name is Dakmar, and she's from the Netherlands a country where most people identify as non-religious, and she definitely has some big questions. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I highly encourage you to go back and take a listen, but I'm excited to welcome her back today. Dakmar, thank you for coming back on. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's going to be awesome. (laughs) I'm so excited and such an honor and a privilege uh, to do this with you. I'm, I'm just really excited. So thank you. Yeah, me too for being here. Also, friend, I wanted to pause and thank one of our Patreon supporters. Thank you to Brian and Jill Wilson. Your support and prayers matter, and I appreciate you. And friend, if you're a regular listener of the Finding Something Real podcast and the content here inspires or challenges you in a good way, I just want to remind you that you can support this program through Patreon. There's special content over there that you get when you sign up, including stickers, Stickers are my favorite. (laughs) And a bonus episode each month. 
Starting at about the cost of a cup of coffee, you can help keep this show on the air. And as always, more information can be found on my website at findingsomethingreal.com. Now today, I am so excited to welcome back a very special returning guest, Honestly, I I just told her this before uh, we pressed record. I've wanted to have her back on here for quite some time. She's truly one of the most enjoyable guests I've had on here. And some of the things she shared in our last conversation have resonated with me, enough so that I highlighted our conversation as one of my favorites in January this, this year. I consider her a kindred spirit as she's passionate about listening and responding to the faith questions and concerns of young people. I'm excited to welcome back world traveler, philanthropist, speaker, and apologist, my German friend, Julia Garshagen. Julia, welcome back. It's such a privilege to be back. Thank you so much for this kind introduction. I don't know whether I can match up with it, but... (laughs) Oh, you totally... Thanks anyway. (laughs) Now, did I still pronounce your your name right? Because... Very good. Yeah. Yeah? Oh, okay. (laughs) Awesome. So, uh, Julia, I wanted to say that you left a mark with me the last time you were here. Um, you shared about your passion to engage skeptics with their questions, uh, in part because you, you shared a little bit about how you were once a skeptic. Um, so for those who missed that first episode with you, will you share a little bit about you? You didn't grow up in a Christian home. No, I didn't. Um, So I'm from Germany, which is also a very secular uh, country, like the Netherlands. Uh, Well, we're neighbouring countries anyway, so much in common there. Um, And um, my parents wouldn't regard Christianity as something evil or bad. They wouldn't call themselves um, atheists. It was just that I didn't have anything to do with our lives. I think my dad did decide against it um, when he was a student. but then, yeah, it just never, we never went to church, not even for Christmas. So it, it just didn't play any part in my life until I was invited by a friend uh, from primary school to come to her church. Well, I didn't even know it was the church. It was just um, <laughs> <laughs> just a, a kids club on, on a Friday night. Uh, so I went and um, I very much enjoyed the games and the community, but I think from very early on, I also felt this, I felt drawn to the person of Jesus because they would tell a a story of the Bible or yeah, talk to us about this um, every Friday. And um, I just basically, I fell in love with Jesus. I I, I found him the most attractive person I'd ever met. The way he treats people, the way he he invites people, the, the way he loves everyone. Um, even the the most unloved people at the time, that just, yeah, it just blew my mind. So I think early on, I just thought, I I just want to be friends with Jesus. (laughs) Um, And and then, so it went from there, but um, obviously along the way, there were quite a few questions. Um, I listened to the earlier episode with you, Dahma, and and I think you shared how this big question of science is a question for you. And that was one of my biggest questions. So when I was, I think, 13 or 14, because my dad would always tell me about evolution, fair enough, and at school, obviously, we got taught that as well. And then, um, so I said to God, I'm, I'm reading this in my Bible about Adam and Eve, and, and it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, and then, and then I, I hear about evolution. So how can I possibly combine these two? 
And I said, well, either God, you explain it to me or that's it. <laughs> because I don't want to give up my brain. I don't want to stop asking hard questions. And so <clears throat> fortunately, um, I was taken to like a seminar on science and faith. It was like a big youth conference and there was a seminar on science and faith. Uh, and there was someone who was very well articulated and he was able to explain things to me. Maybe we're going to dive into that a little bit later as well. Um, so, so that was very helpful for me. But I kept having all these tough questions. And um, I, I'm very thankful that I had people in my life who took these questions serious, who didn't just say, oh, you just have to believe because <laughs> that wouldn't work for me. No way. Um, I don't want blind faith. I think if, if faith is trust, it's trust in a person. So that person has to prove that he or she is trustworthy. So he's had to prove to me in a way that he was trustworthy. And I found him doing that over and over again in my life. So, yeah, I, I very much relate with, with the journey you're on, Daphne. And I guess we're all on a journey, aren't we? I mean, this is yeah. <laughs> that's the excitement of it, <laughs> the adventure. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Dagmar, what do you think? That's a very similar story in some ways uh, to the culture you grow up, you've grown up in. Um, do you relate yeah. to that story? Yeah, yeah, it's a lot similar to my story. I just, um, I don't think I had the people around me that I could ask the tough questions. Like I could, but they wouldn't know the answers either, or they weren't believers, or people would just like try to prove me wrong I guess so it was kind of like negative uh, like a negative environment for learning to have faith I think yeah and I can so understand that because I think if that would have been the case for me yeah <laughs> uh, I, I would have been done with it uh, you need people to who who you feel you can really ask the hard questions of. Um, because if Jesus is the truth, then uh, he should be able to stand up against any question and we should be able to question him. Um, so blind faith is not an option because it, it just seems like an illusion to me. I don't know how you feel about it. I don't want to buy into a placebo and, you know, just brainwash myself just to feel a little bit more cozy or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and Yulia, that was something that you kind of touched on in our last conversation. You said that there were different objections in the culture that you've grown up in or that you surround yourself with. Um, there were, uh, if I remember right, emotional, moral, and intellectual objections. Would you talk a little bit about that and just share um, how people, because uh, for those of us who live in the United States, I think we're at least 10 years behind culturally where you guys are, although I think we're headed that way. So if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit, I would appreciate it. Yeah, so um, I obviously uh, go around a lot in Europe, mostly in the German-speaking world, but I've been to the Netherlands a couple of times. I spoke at the University of Leiden. Uh, I think that was last year, and I'll be speaking at, well online in Antwerp uh, next week, actually. So <laughs> very much oh, looking forward to connecting. But that's Belgium. <laughs> Oh, yeah, sorry. Well, yeah, sorry. No, but there will be oh, that's under the and there will be something in the Netherlands as well. Oh, but this is a sorry. Yeah, this is a nationwide thing. That's why it's not a specific city. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so much for my dad being a ge ge geography teacher. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. Um, so, so, so what I what I perceive when I talk to people who are very skeptical or atheist or or what from whatever worldview and and I mean when we look in inside of ourselves, we often have similar questions. I, I think you mentioned that on your last podcast episode, and now. Um, so I feel there are obviously intellectual questions, so like like science and faith, the question about Adam and Eve and what about evolution that you mentioned, Dahmer. Um, and then there are very emotional questions like where is God in a corona world? Um, how, how come my, my grandparents get corona? How come people die? I lived in Peru for, uh, for some time, so, so I know firsthand what poverty means and, and what influence it has on people. And this is very, it's very emotional because it, yeah, it's, it's, it's just so personal. So we have intellectual questions and we have emotional questions. And then we also have moral questions. So the question of suffering is obviously also a question about the character of God. If he was good, how come he would let people die or suffer? Um, or the question about sexuality, I think that you mentioned, Dahma, is, is also a moral question. Um, you know, does God want to restrict us from having fun and from, uh, yeah, from enjoying life? Is he actually a bad God? He's like a policeman and, and um, so so I, I, yeah I try to differentiate between these three categories and and I found that very helpful because in a way I do understand all of that I understand the emotional questions I, I think if you don't understand them you, you you're scarcely a human being because obviously suffering brings out tears doesn't it um, and I, I fully understand, as I said, the intellectual questions, they are my questions as well. But then I also get the, the moral questions. It seems like, you know, we have this very high standard of morality, but then God somehow doesn't <laughs> match up with it. Um, so, so I very much relate to this and I understand it. And I think it's only from that point of view um, to see it as like a common journey that you, we can we can share and, and be able to get alongside each other. Um, because if I say, oh, you know, these are these really weird, weird people who for some unknown reason have these questions about my amazing God, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's gonna work. And, and that's just, it's not true. We're human beings, we sit in the same boat, so to say, um, and we share some, some of our questions. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think we can go on a journey together and, and find something real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm really excited. Uh, Dagmar has questions. Uh, I know you've listened to her first episode. Uh, so you're familiar with some of them. I'll let her uh, ask some of them real quick. But one final thing that I wanted to bring up from your last uh, conversation that we had, um, something that you said that I have actually adopted and I've taken it and not like, I'm just going to admit, I haven't said this is from Yulia Gershagen. I've taken it as something, <laughs> but it's been uh, saying to people, there's a lot of fake news out there about Christianity. And um, I, as you shared that, I thought you're exactly right. And uh, you mentioned in our last episode, you were sharing about um, apathy and uh, culture and how the apathy fades when people see the real Jesus. 
And so um, I'm really excited for this conversation. Dagmar has a lot of great questions, and I know that you're a great person to ask, so I'm going to let her do that uh, right now. But anyway, thank you for letting me steal fake news. (laughs) (laughs) You go for it. Okay. Okay, so I think maybe because um, the like the question about like evolution and god because that's what we were told and it sounds like to be honest it sounds like a more believable story than adam and eve to me at least Mm -hmm. so maybe you can talk a bit about that yeah i completely get that (laughs) and um so what i have found so helpful is to think about whether I need to actually, it need to be either or. And I've come to the point that I don't think it needs to be either or. So the question for me when I read the Bible is always, what genre is this? So what did the original author actually want to say? And we do that in, I do that in German class, you do that in Dutch class. Or in English classes, we do that. When we get a text, we think about what what kind of text is this? And then we immediately perceive some markers in the text and we realize, oh, this is meant to be a biology book or this is an article on on Wikipedia or this is a poem. And with poems, we we perceive them differently. So we don't think, um, oh, this is something I have to take literally in a way but we, um, we know that they're using images, um, they're using all kinds of language that wants to talk truth, to tell truth to us, but on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the biblical text, so especially Genesis, so that's the first book of the Bible, 1 to 11, chapters 1 to 11, where um, Adam and Eve uh, come as well, um, the, the language, the Hebrew language um, that it uses is a very poetic language. So in a way, it's, it's more of a prominent poem. If you read it in Hebrew, it, it's got this amazing sound to it, really poetic. Um, so, so I think that the author of this text never wanted to write a biology book. Um, <laughs> So I have to ask the hard question, what did he actually want to say? What does does this text actually want to tell me? And the interesting thing is that it was only, I think, in the 18th century that Christians started to take this literally. So from the very early time of Christianity until the 18th century, it was always taken as a sort of poem. And it was only then that people kind of made up these you know, it's either the scientific explanation or the biblical explanation. I think we are able to combine them. So I think biology tells us how the world came into being. The Bible tells us why it came into being and who was behind all this. So who started the Big Bang, for example? It's quite interesting that the Big Bang theory was first put forward by a Belgian priest. <laughs> and um, at, before he put, put out this theory, um, the, the atheist scientists believed that the universe had been there forever, so that it didn't actually have a start, which again is, is interesting because eternity sounds very Christian to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <well. laughs> um, so, so, 
so when he first caught, came forward with um, with Big Bang, that it all started from nothing, that it had a beginning, they rejected it because they said, that sounds far too Christian. It sounds like what you read in the Bible. <laughs> really interesting. Um, so, uh, so I think when you look at the text um, with the, this deeper understanding, there is so much that you can get that you miss when you just read it as a biology book. So for example, it tells us that human beings are made in the image of God. And it very, very pronounces man and women. So male and female made in the image of God. So, and we read it and yeah, okay, that's fine for us. But at the time, they all knew that there was an image of God. One man was the image of God. It was either the king or the Pharaoh or the Caesar. So in the so sort of in the environment in the, the other nations around Israel, they thought, yes, there is an image of God and it's, it's one man who is in power. So the author comes along and says, well, actually we are all made in the image of God. And believe it or not, it's not just men, it's also women. Woo! <laughs> revolutionary that was so revolutionary at the time and I think it, it still is today and that's where we in our western culture get the equality of male and female we get it from the bible from from everyone being made in the image of God and actually the human rights that we have and um, they also come from from that I was talking to actually I got to know a, a very good friend of mine in Leiden at the university there who's a Muslim and I talked to him uh, last week and he's from Pakistan, and he told me about polygamy in his country. So um, a man can have several wives. He says, well, but um, that's not culturally appropriate so much anymore. And I said, why is that the case? And he says, because of secular morality coming in. And then he said, well, you know, secular morality is actually Christian morality. They just forgot about it. But... Um, <laughs> but <laughs> But the reason why now polyg polygamy is seen as something not good anymore is because it's the Christian standard of, of, of matrimony um, that, that it holds, holds forward. Um, so that's very interesting. So, and then you have other things like, and um, the text says, um, God put the stars into the sky just like lanterns. So again, the nations around Israel at the time, they worship the stars as being gods. And then the author of the text comes along and says, you know what, your gods, they are just matter. That sounds very scientific, doesn't it? And, and you know what, our God put them as lanterns in the, star, in, in the sky. So in a way, it's, it's a very early apologetic there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I think... When you just read it as a biology textbook, you miss these very important things that are so revolutionary and that have transformed society. So for me, it's something that I want to, to keep together. Also about Adam and Eve, I think you, you put that question out very, um, very pronounced. Um, so, so we know from, um, that prehistoric man, there were only very few. I think you asked about um, how can they you know, if, if they have, if they marry uh, among each other, won't they all have Down syndrome? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's a fair question, a very fair question. But you have the same, same problem in evolution in a way, because these communities were very, very small. 
Um, and it seems like their gene pool was much bigger than ours is today. Um, so so I'm, I'm not saying, yeah, a way of thinking about Adam and Eve that one theologian has put forward uh, is what if man evolved and then there was a time when God said, okay, now I'm going to give them my spirit, my breath upon them um, and, and tell them about this connection and, and I, want, I connect to them. And, and he chose this group of human beings because in a way that's also interesting. Uh, Adam just means man and Eve is the mother of all men. So is this, was this just a person or is this maybe even a group of people? We don't know, but it, you, you could be open for that. Um, and, and so God connected to this very special group of people and, and, um, and then, um, and then you can also bring in what, it, what theologians call the fall. So they they sort of said, no, we don't want anything to have to do with God anymore. We don't want him in our lives. So that was this group of people. And if you look at the Bible, it's interesting also because um, one of the sons of Adam and Eve, he then goes away and marries someone. And, and if you read the text, you go like, and where does that someone come from? <laughs> she wasn't even mentioned before. <laughs> so, so the Bible seems to hint to the point that, yes, there were other human beings around. So that was a very long answer. Do you want to chip into that or, or come back to that? Should I go yeah. into yeah. I mean, I like, I, I just, I think I never really looked at the Bible that way because um, all around me, everyone thought of it like literally. So I just, uh, because Janelle asked me to do it, but um, uh, last week I've been reading bits of the Bible didn't read everything you asked it, Janelle, but I can see how it's like more poetic than like a school book or something that you have to take literally. So I I like that you told me that because it's a whole different view. So yeah. Mm. I, I think it's always the question, what kind of text is it? So if you go, for example, to the gospels, so the you know, the biographies of Jesus. Luke, for example, he starts off his biography by saying, I have put this all into an order and I've done my research. I have questioned the eyewitnesses. So here we see, oh, wow, this is something completely different. So his aim, the author's aim was actually to, yes, to write history. So that's very different to, say, the Psalms, who are very poetic, or as I said, the first 11 books of the Bible. And, and that doesn't mean that there's no truth in that. It just means we need a different understanding to find the truth that is in the text. Yeah, I think it's a journey. I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and Dagmar, I think you're reading uh, the Gospels, right? Luke and John. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just started on Luke. I will say, I think this is a great conversation. I believe in a literal Adam and Eve. And I think um, there's a lot of people... Uh, that do, but I think there's plenty of Christians that, you know, take it more like poetic. I do think um, it's interesting. I know Jesus kind of alluded to Adam and Eve when he talked about the first man and, and woman. So, um, and and also, I but I I totally agree with you, Yulia. Like there's <laughs> there's stuff that's just not in the Bible that we can see in biology and science and stuff, but that the Bible doesn't contradict the way that society makes it sound like it does 
including yeah. like the Big Bang. I watched your Faith Doc Mar when she was talking about the Big Bang originally, like coming from a Christian, like what? But that's true. Like I've heard this so many times, like I believe in the Big Bang, you know, God spoke and bang, it happened, right? Like uh, there's a lot of things that we don't understand. And I think science, um, if, if God and the Bible is true, science will never really contradict it. You know what I mean? Like we, it might look like it contradicts, but I don't believe that it actually does at all. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I. Yeah, thank you so much, Chanel, for pointing that out. I think it's fair to say that Christians do have different views on this, and that's okay. So um, I think there are things that all Christians agree, like, was Jesus, did he come to earth? Uh, was he the son of God? Did he die? Did he rise? And these are the very important ones. And I think we need unity on that. But then there are other things, I think, where, yes, we can disagree and we can wrestle. And that's completely OK. I mean, God gives us this freedom. Um, and and I do want to hold to the fact that, yes, I believe that God made this, this world, the universe, that he had us in mind, that he made it for a purpose. So we are made for a purpose. Uh, we're not just a, a bunch of atom, atoms, um, but he, he loved us into life. Um, and that's so crucial. And, and then there are so many other implications that come with it. Um, yeah, but then there are, so, so one of my favorite theologians, he always said, um, uh, we need unity in the important things. And then in the important but not so important things we can have diversity and and but in everything we need grace and love with each other mm -hmm. so um so it's okay to disagree on some things uh, and to discuss these things and i'm not saying you know what i just said um is the ultimate truth um it's just my way of understanding this and again i'm on a on a path i actually have a friend who's a physicist and he always keeps me updated and then we discuss them <laughs> Well, I guess uh, my only question is, do you agree that science won't ever contradict what we like what we can see in scripture? Because, I mean, I think that's something I, I heard. I think it was Matt Chandler. He's, uh, I don't know if you're familiar, but, you know, a big pastor in America or whatever. And he said something about we don't need to be afraid of any scientific discovery because yeah. uh, it should always affirm what we know about God. And if it doesn't, then we need to question some things. Yeah, that's true. I think we can hold it in, in both hands. So yeah. so the Bible is, um, is yeah, the book that we read. And, and it, yeah, it's a book. But then nature is also uh, something where we can encounter God. And and a lot of the early scientists were Christians. And, and um, a German scientist, um, Kepler is his name, the Tronomist, uh, he said, when I do science, I, I rethink God's thoughts. And I found that so beautiful. So in a way, he had a big vision for, for what he was doing for his science, to, to encounter God and to think God's thoughts that he had when he created this world. So, um, yeah, very much. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, Brian was, uh, Doc Martin knows my husband, Brian. He was a science uh, teacher for 13, 12, 13 years. Oh, wow. And uh, he he felt that way too, like science actually helped his faith. Uh, it, it wasn't the opposite. Um, but Doc Martin, uh, I'll let you take the lead here on uh, any follow-up questions that you want to ask Yulia. 
Okay, so the question about um, sexuality here, because, uh, yeah, you listened to it, so I don't need to rephrase it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody listening right now might not have listened to it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, so the question is, like, um, in this, um, in my culture, people usually only get married around... 30 and then they will have children and live their life like that because they want to experience uh, life before they settle down but within the Christian faith um, you're not supposed to have sex before you get married and it's one of uh, the human like urges to have sex it's one of their needs so it kind of troubles me that um, that's not allowed in this culture, like in this faith, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, it, again, this is such a moral question, isn't it? I mean, if this God restricted, does he not want us to have fun? I mean, supposedly if he, if he made us and he created sex, so does he look down from heaven and say, Oh, how come they're having so much fun now? <laughs> I have to do something against it. <laughs> um, yeah, so thank you for that question. And I relate to that. I mean, um, it's, it's the same here that sometimes Christians get um, get married very early and you think, hmm, <laughs> okay. There's a reason. And I definitely think it's not, um, it shouldn't be the primary reason to get married just because you want to have sex. Uh, so I guess it was very important to get to know each other beforehand. Um, but yeah, so um, so I I do believe um, that yes, um, Jesus um, told us to not have sex before marriage. And I'm single. I'm 37, uh, and and I live that. So I haven't had sex yet. So I can't really tell about the goodness of it. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> And the reason why um, why I choose to 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 keep to that is because it for re- for some yeah it always makes sense to me that um, well I guess it's again about the, the the character of God if He really is good and if I really can trust Him then I would think that the sort of the tips He gives us for life are good for us. That they're not restricting us, but that they're helping us. So, from from how I see Jesus when I read through his biographies, I always have the feeling here's someone who really wants my life to blossom, who really wants to to live, to give me life to the full. That's what he says, and that's what I have experienced. So I look at it from a different angle and and think. So my thought is, okay, if that's presumably what God says. I made you and I made sex and I made sex for you to fully enjoy it. So I actually don't think God thinks sex is is something bad. I think he gave it to us as an amazing gift. uh, One of the most amazing gifts he's given us. Um, So God is absolutely pro-sex in a way. (laughs) So, um, and then he gave us, well, you can say rules. I like to say tips because rules in our culture is often perceived as something 
uh, yeah, bad and you, you want to be restrictive and it's just a straight jacket and I have to break free from it. But so, for example, I, I, I used to play handball. I don't know whether that's very well known in the States, football, well, any sports you have. <laughs> <laughs> you, well, you, you have rules for this game. Um, and the only way how you can really fully enjoy the game is by keeping to those rules. Uh, if you don't, then, well, you do something else, but it's not, it wouldn't be handball, the sports I love. Um, so I think the tips God's given us are, are rules in this, in this way to really make our life blossom. So now, again, we come to sex. And um, for me, for some reason, it has always made sense that um, if I get naked in front of a person, if I give the most intimate thing that I have, myself and my body, then I only want to share that with a person who's fully committed to me, who says, I belong to you and you belong to me, come what may. And it doesn't matter whether you perform well in bed or you don't, whether you grow old or not, whether, well, I will. <laughs> <laughs> We're in lockdown. <laughs> oh, great hair. <laughs> I, I will stick to you. And, and that is the promise of marriage. marriage. So for me, this is a, a covenant. Um, I don't know whether you're, are you familiar with that term, covenant? Uh, no. <laughs> well, it's this, um, when you, yeah, what you do in marriage, you say, I stick to you forever. Um, so, so yeah, whether you grow old or not, whether you look well or not, whether you, you lie to me, obviously that's a very high view of matrimony, but I think that's the biblical way. And I find that so romantic <laughs> and I find that so life giving, um, because if, yeah, if I'm in this sort of relationship, then that would be such a secure environment for me to, yeah, to share my, my inner thoughts, to share my soul and to share my body as well. But then I do think this doesn't make any sense to someone who doesn't know God um, because it's just quite arbitrary, I think. But if you do know God, it, it makes a, a different, it, it gets a different meaning. In a way, I think sex is great, but it's just a signpost to something even more worthy, to something even bigger. So, for example, my friend got, got engaged just recently, and, and, and she was running around with her engagement ring, and, yeah, look at it, it's so great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and obviously, had I asked her fiancé, uh, well, you know, how much is the engagement ring worth? I, I, I didn't ask him. So maybe it was 500 euros or maybe it was a thousand euros. But obviously for her, the engagement ring, she never asked about the price. The worth was so much more, so much more. Why? Because it was a signpost to something higher. It was a signpost to the promise they'd made to get married and to have that intimate relationship uh, for, for their lives. So I think quite equally, sex is a signpost, the intimacy we, we have between men and women, um, between two human beings, is a signpost to something higher. And that something higher, I think, is the relationship that God wants to have to each one of us. Now, I'm not saying that God wants to have sex with us, but I'm, I, am, <laughs> I am saying... <laughs> That's not going to go on the promo clip. <laughs> I am saying that 
what we can experience with him is, is so worthy, is so holistic, is so intimate, um, that it even transcends sex in a way, I think. Um, so, so these, I think, are my two kind of main points. I don't know whether that makes sense to you, whether you want to come back to it. I feel, yeah, it's not a restriction. It's something that God wants to kind of open a space of safety to fully enjoy it. And um, yeah, but I think it's also fair to say, I think you mentioned that on the last podcast. Again, Christians have different views on this. And um, it's quite interesting how often you hear Christians talk about sex. Um, and I think it's important because it's so much part of our identity of our life. But Jesus actually doesn't talk as much about sex as he talks about how we deal with money and how we treat the poor and all of that. So sometimes I think, well, you know, there's, yeah, I think we need to come into the equilibrium again to, you know, to have sex before marriage is not the ultimate sin. It's not that Jesus is going to look down and say, okay, you did that, you're out forever. <laughs> no way. <laughs> um, and he, he, yeah, I think he will ask us much more about how we treated the poor, um, how we dealt with our money, have we been generous to, to people. Um, and again, you know, in this area, there's so much vulnerability because I know... Um, from my own experience of um, having journeyed alongside a lot of women who've been sexually abused. Um, so this is a very big topic. And if when they come, or, or men as well, and when they come to church and hear people saying, oh, you're really unclean if you had sex before marriage, what, what message does that give to them? So I think as Christians, we need to be so much more sensitive because it's such a sensitive uh, topic and so many people have been hurt by it. Um, so, so for no way I want to give the message you're unclean if you had sex before marriage you can't go to heaven or Jesus doesn't want anything to do with you uh, it's not the ultimate sin not at all um, I think this is something that Jesus has given us uh, it's a great gift from him I think he's given us tips of how to use them best um, but it's there's so much more. So I would always say, come to come to know Jesus and then he'll take you on a journey with your sexuality as well, with everything. I mean, this is, yeah, the whole identity. For me as a Christian, as a single as well, I think um, what is also important is that my the core of my identity is not in, do I get married, do I not get married, do I have a boyfriend or not? Do I have sex or not? Yeah, that's important, obviously. And these are big questions for me as well. But the core of my identity has become my relationship with Jesus. And that kind of shifts everything else in a way. Yeah. I don't know. Do you want to come back on that? Are there any further questions, anything you disagree with? Um, there's nothing so much that I disagree with. It's just... Um... I I like the the view as in like tips, but for example, me I don't see my I'm not a virgin anymore, and I don't see myself ever going back to like not having sex before marriage, because um, that's just not who I am. I think I obviously already had sex and I enjoy it, 
and I don't see the point in me going back to not having sex before marriage. So I don't know if you can say anything about that. What do you feel about like coming to Jesus or entering a relationship with Jesus or starting to believe in Jesus, however you want to frame it, um, would mean that you'd have to uh, refrain from sex? Yeah, like would that mean because obviously I'm not a virgin anymore. So like does that tip still say like you should probably wait to have sex again until you're married? Or is it like, yeah, well, you're already like unpure, I guess, before, yeah, when you're joining. So it doesn't really matter anymore. Or I don't know. Mm, okay. Yeah, I get that question. I, I, I do struggle with, with this word of impurity uh, just because it's so is so something so intimate and so sensitive and I don't you know coming yes we are all impure in a way <laughs> whether we'd had sex or not <laughs> and then and when we come to Jesus I guess we're all impure um and then he comes and, and makes us pure I mean um if you want to use that it's quite a religious language but if you want to use that and um I know it, it does make sense for for some people who have experienced things like sexual abuse for example so um I, I guess the question would also be like can I come to Jesus when I'm still lying <laughs> well <laughs> I hope so because there, there would be no other way of people coming to Jesus and then I would hope that he will transform me and um and and help me to not lie um, and then I know this question about sexuality is obviously a little bit on a different different level because it's so much part of the identity. I would always say, talk to Jesus about this. Um, come and, and, and talk to him about it. And then I think he will take you on a, on a journey. As I said, I don't think these things make sense. And I don't think uh, I would have the power or the strength, so to say, to refrain from sex if it wasn't for Jesus. Because yes, I struggle with this at times. I do have desires as well, obviously I'm a human being. Uh, so it, it very much helps me to talk to Jesus about this and to, to receive strength from him. So I, I don't think these things make sense outside of the relationship with Jesus. So I would always say, um, come and, and talk to him about it and meet him. I am, um, I have a, A, a good friend who um, used to be a gay activist and he really disliked Christian, Christianity and Christians because he was so hurt by Christians and he felt, again, as you said, um, it's just really restrictive and obviously they're against gays and everything. And then um, it was in a pub in Sydney where he met someone and she offered prayer to him and he said, well, yeah, okay, pray for me <laughs> if you like. Uh, and she did. And, and he said, Well, I suddenly received this amazing love that I'd never, ever felt before in my life. Uh, until today, he starts crying when he tells me about it. He says, it's, it was like oil on my, on my head. Very interesting language. <laughs> Ripping. And, and I felt so loved like I'd never felt before in the world. And I realized this was the love that I had been searching for all my life. And then he said, oh, But now that means I need to become a Christian. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And then again, it was this journey for him, journeying with Jesus. And then he said, okay, then I, um, I'll do gay marriage. I, I'll marry um, a man. And then again, a little bit further on in the journey, um, he's, he said, well, for some reason, I can't reconcile that with the Bible. And he's now decided to become, to, to live as a celibate. So um, he lives as a single, he's not married. And that for him means he doesn't um, enter into um, a sexual relationship. Now I have the highest respect for him. I really have. Um, and, and he also says, this is not a matter of, of evangelism. So when you just get to know Jesus, this is a matter of when you journey with him. And, and he says, I can't, I can't force someone into this. It's something that Jesus has to show along the way. So that, that would be my invitation and um, come to Jesus with this and, and talk to him about it. Um, but don't let this be the stumbling block because there is, I mean, there's so much to be found in, in Jesus and, and the love and the, yeah, just, yeah, just how he sees me and how he's transformed me and how, how he's with me uh, through the dark and through the, the bright and in, in the really lonely times and and when I'm celebrating it's just amazing so for me that's so much more than than sexuality so there's so much more to gain and that's the invitation that is there um yeah does that help yeah it does yeah you did good <laughs> now it's not like um the the things that are said in the bible are just the things that you have to do or have to be restricted to because for me like that just does not fit with who I am so I like this more like talk to Jesus and go on the journey and then it will all be become clear to you like I like that because that's more something that I could have faith in and that I could be I think yeah <laughs> I think too just adding to what Yulia said like I mean, I grew up in a Christian home, um, and for me, it was very easy to become very rules-based, to be like become very legalistic, like, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this, I shouldn't do this. I sh and the problem with that is uh, when we view things as uh, just rules <laughs> instead of relationship, um, you're constantly falling short. And frankly, I just wanted to do the opposite. And a lot of times I would. I would just run in the opposite direction and do something else. And the closer I come to Jesus, the more I spend time with him, the more I desire relationship with him, the more he, he changes my desires. It comes as an overflow of relationship with him, not the opposite. It doesn't come with me going, oh, I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. It comes with, Lord, help me to know you so that way I know how to live Mm -hmm. And he does the work. And even as Yulia, you were sharing about your friend, like to the outside world, they could look like, wow, you know, how restrictive, how sad for him, all that stuff. But I would guess, I don't know him, but I would guess that it doesn't feel like that for him. I bet it feels like he's walking in freedom that God gave him mm -hmm. and this new revelation. And I, I hear that when you're talking about, um, you know, your journey as well. I mean, 
when people say, well, I, I have to, you know, it's unfair to not uh, have sex, you know, whatever, like, Jesus didn't have sex. And so if he can be like this beautiful example, um, I don't know, I and, and live in fullness of life. Um, it, it's just interesting. I think uh, we think that Jesus is holding something from us. But in actuality, he's like, no, no, just come to me and I'll show you a better way. I don't know if that adds to what you said, but I just was thinking for me, that's been a turning point for me. Instead of looking at it like, wow, these are things I have to do or I should. In fact, a a secular therapist told me that. She's like, Janelle, you say, this is years ago. She says, uh, you say you should, you should, you should. How about you do it out of love? And when I stopped thinking of it as shoulds and I started thinking of it as, wow, I just want to do, I'm in love with Jesus. I just want what he wants. My life changed. My life changed. Mm. So... I don't know. Any yeah, thoughts on that? Yeah, thank you for sharing, yeah. Uh, it does resonate with me as well. I don't know what you said, Emma. Yeah, yeah, I like it. But that's probably what I'm just today. It's not like, yeah, I suddenly believe that now or anything. It's just something to think about and to take with mm-hmm. me in this journey. Sure, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I de- you know, I think it's good to think things through um, because, um entering into a relationship just like when you get married or when you said yes to your boyfriend how do you say yes (laughs) 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 or he said yes to you or whatever or you said yes to each other Uh, it's something you you don't do out of like the spare of the moment um because it, it kind of changes your life so I think it's good to think it through and to feel it through and to talk it through yeah very much so yeah Okay, Dagmar, you got some more questions. You're, you're free to ask whatever you want. So I have another question that I haven't shared with Janelle because <laughs> I just recently thought of it. <laughs> but um, like usually like sinners are uh, people who go to jail. So like murderers or um, I don't know, like bad people. Mm-hmm. But usually there's something like wrong in their brain like they are psychopaths or something but they are born with that and it develops throughout their environment because that's what I'm learning right now um at least that's how I see it so there's already something fundamentally wrong with them in my view that is not something that they have chosen for themselves or can change really so I just kind of wonder like probably like those people would go to hell in the view of Christianity and I'm just wondering because what is it that is their fault that they did something wrong because their brain was telling them to do that and they didn't really have a choice that's interesting are you learning that about everyone so um do you think that everyone who ever did something wrong no. um, did that because they had damage in their brain? No, I don't think like everyone is, is like that, but I think a lot of people do have like something wrong in their brain. Like not definitely wrong, but not helpful at least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for pointing that out. And um and I do think, as you said, sometimes um, we judge very much in black and white. 
So we see someone doing something bad and say, oh, it's, it's a bad person and, and whatever. And I think, um, yeah, it's so helpful that what you're saying is so much more nuanced um, because, yeah, you also have to look at the upbringing of, of the person. And um, sometimes there are some um, brain issues as well. I don't think that's always the case. Um, so we have to look at where does a person come from as well. Um, and, and I think that's very helpful in how we look at people and that we can have more grace and, and be more loving and also in, in helping people because ultimately what we want in our society is that we can bring people back into, into the life of society. So I think um, there needs to be so much more um, help for perpetrators than just putting them in jail and forgetting about them there. Um, so, so yeah, very much so. Um, I think there yeah. are... Sorry. Yeah. For example, I love um, like I think it's uh, Sweden or uh, Finland. They have these like prisons that aren't really prisons. They're just like rehabilitation. And sometimes I watch like shows of prisons in America, Janelle, <laughs> and I was like, what? How are these people ever gonna go back into society and uh, feel? Um, like they can contribute to society in that way because it's so harsh around there and yeah <laughs> but I saw like a documentary or like a short film or of a prison in Scandinavia and I just really like that idea because that's what prisons are supposed to do they're supposed to help people get back to what they want to be and who they want to be like, yeah, well, like faith in a way, yeah. I guess the answer is that that they often don't go back into society, or they do, and then they come back to 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 prison. Yeah. So rehabilitation is something that doesn't work well in most of the prisons. Um, and I don't know whether you know that, Janelle, but uh, at least we in in Germany, we all like, always look up to Scandinavia, and you know, whatever they do, education, rehabilitation, they're always better than us. <laughs> And everybody's better than America in that regard, I think. <laughs> the interesting thing about this is that the, the the thought of rehabilitation actually does steam from Christianity as well, um, from the thinking that, yes, people can be changed um, and that they there is there is a way of kind of, um, yeah, changing our lives. And that that is the message of Jesus. He always says, well, you don't have to stay who you are come to me and then I can change you and we can work through all this together. And um, I mean, even in America, <laughs> America, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I've heard people who said, well, I, I have met Jesus and he has transformed me. So one of my former colleagues um, was actually, <clears throat> uh, he was part of the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, so he was very racist and he engaged in, um, in attacks on black people and on Jews. This was back in, in, I think, in the 60s or 70s. Um, and he, well, he ended long, very long story, but he ended up um, in, in prison several times. And he was in um, single confinement. So it was just him and the cell. Um, and the first book he asked for was Hitler's Mein Kampf. So a very Nazi book. Um, and then he read through some um, philosophers and then he came to the question of truth. And, um, and then he, he had heard something about the Bible. 
as and and something about Jesus claiming to be the truth. So he he asked for a Bible and he started to read through the Bible. And when I think it was when he came to the the biography of Jesus written by Luke that you're reading through at the moment, that he realized, oh, I was so wrong in what I did. I was completely wrong. And Jesus is right. And I want to change. How can I change? And he realized the only way that would get him out of all this was to, to start this relationship with Jesus. So he knelt down in his cell and he asked Jesus to come into his life. And he said, he, he, re, he, he realized immediately he'd become a different man. Um, and then a few weeks later, the FBI agent who had been in charge of um, captivating him, he didn't believe that. <laughs> And he came to visit him to see for himself whether that was actually true. And I think he's written about this in his biography. He's dead now. Um, he said, when I entered the cell, I realized this is a changed man. So um, if we talk about rehabilitation, if we talk about transformation of people, regardless of where they come from and what they've been through, I think Jesus is, um, yeah, the strong source of being able to really change people. And he wants that. So it's interesting, you know, again, this I think is often fake news about Christianity as if uh, sinners don't have a place. I mean, we're all sinners. Um, it's not just the people who've murdered someone. Um, I guess it's all of us. And I, it starts in my thinking. And maybe I said a wrong word to someone and then that person fall, fell into depression um, because of, what I've said and, and how it was perceived. So, you know, we have, we do things and maybe sometimes without intention, they have a ripple effect and it has consequences. So I think in that way, we all, again, we're sitting in the same boat, even with the people who've murdered someone. Um, and, and we all need that change. And especially Luke's, Luke write, writes about this, how Jesus always related to the sinners. And he actually didn't like the religious people very much who were thinking they were having the, you know, the the brownie points in heaven and that they would be sitting next to God and, and all of that. And then Jesus said, thank you very much. I'll be sitting next to the sinners and to the prostitutes and um, to the rebels of the time. So we see Jesus acting so differently from what we would accept of a religious teacher. So I think this is religion. I think Jesus is so very different. And that's what I love about him, because only then can I have a place with him. Um, and, and you know what, again, what I know about God is he is just, he's fair. That's part of his character. So in a way, I don't know how he will come to his aim with the people who've grown up in such a different environment, um, who have maybe some psychological issues, but I know he won't judge anyone just by the sight of it. He knows us through and through. He knows our motivations. He knows our responsibilities, because I do think we have responsibility, um, and everyone has, and he knows where, because of some reasons that many people might not be aware of, we've acted in a way we've acted. And and this is, I think, for me, the beauty of Jesus. And I don't find that in any other religion, that he offers grace to everyone, no matter whether you're in the 
in in the cell in the prison or whether you a VIP or whether you it's just me in Cologne. <laughs> um, it, it's just it's just for everyone. You don't have to earn your brownie points in heaven. Um, and even if you've if you've done the wrongest thing in the world, it's still open for you. Um, I think it's something where we need to swallow our pride to say, yes, I, I need that grace. I, I can't do it on my own. Um, and that is something that also changes people to swallow my pride. Um, but I think we, we all need that change in a way. Yeah, so, so it's, it's out there for everyone. And if you read through Jesus' biography, you will see that. That's what I love about him. One of the things. Okay. Is that helpful? Or do you want to come back on that? It is. I just kind of always saw it as like you do a couple of bad things. So you're a bad person. And somehow in my mind, like I knew that you could um, like uh, repay for your sins and stuff like that. But it just always seemed like a bit like, yeah, I repaid my sins, but I still did my sins like that. So I'm still like a bad person. It doesn't replace what I did before. Mm. Like that. Well, you know, I think the, the view of the Bible of us as human beings is very realistic. As I said, it says uh, we are made in the image of God. So there's so much beauty in us and we are precious. And then and God breathed his breath in us. So, so there's something of him in us. And that's amazing. I mean, that's the greatest honor you could ever think of. But then also it does say, well, we've sort of broken away from our creator. And, and, then, and yes, we do things that we shouldn't do. I'm not the way that even I want to be. <laughs> um, I'm broken. I, I'm hurt by people and then I hurt others. So there are all these dimensions of injustice in me, but then also because of me, it's a structural injustice and, and structural evil. So, and the Bible holds these two things about human beings together. It's not either or, it's both and. The line of good and evil goes through my own heart. Mm. Um, and then, and that's why I think Jesus came to say, well, you can try to repay for your sin, as he says, but, but I don't think it's possible. And, and so Jesus kind of went into that place where we cannot go and he stood for us where we can't st stand. And he says, I'm going to pay for you um, so, so you don't have to do it. So in a way, God takes over responsibility and says, you can put all the blame on me. You can all put it on the cross. Um, and, then, and then he takes it into, the, into death. Uh, so it all dies. <laughs> and then Jesus, Jesus rose again. And that's this message of you are free. You are free. Uh, so you can, you can link yourself to Jesus and give him all the bad things and the darkness and the pain. And he will take it to the cross. He will take it into death. Uh, so it doesn't have a grip on you anymore. It doesn't have a hold on you. And, and he pays where you can't pay. And then... And then again, he rose and we are linked to him in his resurrection as well. And that means this is how God sees us. He sees us like Jesus. He sees us as his sons and daughters. And that's grace. And so, 
so yes, I still do bad things. Um, but in a way, again, whenever I do them, I can come to Jesus and says, I put that to the cross as well. I know you've already paid for it. It's okay. And he says, yeah, I, I want that because I love you so much. So his love is always so much greater than anything I will ever do. Um, when you when you keep reading the Bible, you will come to a book called The Letter um, to Romans. So this, this is someone writing to the church in Rome. And then in chapter eight, uh, he's so beautiful, describes this, how nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, neither heights nor depths, nothing we do, nothing that will ever happen to us. Um, because we, we, and we know this because Jesus already died for us. He gave the most precious thing, his life for us. So, you know, what may come, he will stick to us. And then he, he will pull us through. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I do need to. And, and then I think only then does it make sense what Janelle's shared about. It's not, not anymore about ticking the list and, you know, doing all the rules and doing all the right things. It's relationship. And yes, I will fall, but he still has me. This is, a, I love that picture. Um, you know how when we, before Corona, <laughs> when we greeted ourselves in Germany, at least, because we are not so kind-hearted like the Americans, we shook hands. <laughs> so um, if then I, I let go of someone's hand, it will easily slip apart. Um, and, and in a way, this is how, how I see religion. So when I have to break the rules, and when I have to keep all the rules and then I break them, it's easily, the relationship easily breaks. But the way that Jesus holds us is like the Romans used to greet themselves. So when I slip, uh, when I break the rules, I run away, he still has me. Mm. It's beautiful. For those of you listening right now, she grabbed her forearm instead of just her hand. Uh, I've never seen that before. That might have to be the promo video. It's so good. Um, I wanted to, I guess, ask a, a snowball of a question um, because Doc Mar uh, mentioned when we were talking before about Corona and you just mentioned it as well. Um, you know, why, where is God in this? Something else that she talked about, and, and this is kind of the snowball is, you know, where's Jesus? I've never seen him. That's what she shared last time we were talking. And so um, I'd love for you to speak to that, Yulia, for maybe mm. just encouragement in that. Like, how do we know that God is still good in the midst of this? And how do we see him when we've never seen him before, maybe? Yeah, this is such a good question. And it's a heartbreaking question because um, I don't know, are, you, are your grandparents okay? Are they recovered? Yeah, they're, they're recovered. So <laughs> it was a relief. But then obviously yeah. we know so many people who, who have not recovered and um, who are suffering because of depression through Corona. So yeah, where is God and why would he not prevent Corona? And to be honest, this for me is always the biggest question, why? Mm -hmm. So the question of suffering, uh, be it Corona or any other suffering, as I said, um, I've, I've seen a lot of it, in, especially in Peru. Um, it's always the biggest question for me. It's a question with a lot of weight. So, um, uh, yeah, and there's no easy answer to it. Um, in a way, I haven't found an answer in atheism either, to be honest. 
because um, I, I, I can't see anything that will comfort me in atheism. And also, if there is no God, then how can I even judge that this is something bad with Corona? Because if it was just nature and the survival of the fittest, then we might as well say, well, it's actually something good because the weak are going to be eliminated. Not that I'm saying that or I'm saying that every atheist um, says that, but the question is always, where do we take um, our judgment from? And if there is no God and it's just nature, survival of the fittest would be the way to go. So Corona could be actually perceived as something good. So, so for me, in the whole question of suffering, which is such a deep question, atheism is, I don't find it helpful and I don't find it intellectually um, appealing. So when I look at Christianity, um, again, this is the, the biggest question for me. Um, there are several ways to look at this. Um, one is obviously God's given us freedom because love always gives us freedom. I mean, when uh, when your boyfriend Ulrich, when he um, he asked you to go out uh, with him, he obviously gave you the freedom to say no. I hope he did. <laughs> Otherwise, I, d I don't think it would be a good start of your relationship if you would be there with a knife on your <laughs> on your forehead. Uh, so, so it's the nature of love to give freedom. Um, and I think God has given us the freedom to say yes to him or to say no. Um, and I do think as human beings, we have said no to him and we do that over and over again. But then if God is the source of all good and the source of life and the source of everything beautiful that he gives to this earth, then um, going away from him actually means we, we literally turn towards the not good, the not life, the not life, yeah, the um, the the unworthiness of life, and and towards evil in a way, and towards destruction and chaos and all of that. So I think that's when what we see when we look at the world. Um, Christians call it a fallen world, but you might also want to say, you know, there are all these structures of injustice, of of illnesses, and all of that that have come into this world like a virus that comes enters your computer and it starts very small but then very you know it spreads and and the whole computer is affected by it and i think that's that's what happened to this world um it's glorious but it's a glorious ruin as someone has said um yeah and we and we and we feel and see that everywhere um then some people say well you know maybe god can bring something positive out of the darkness. And I'm very cautious with this um, because there is evil that is so dark that I can't see any, any good coming out of it. You know, um, children being abused um, or being forced into slavery and all of that. I'm like, this is so bad. How can anything good come out of it? But, um, but I have also experienced that people have said to me, I've gone through this illness. I've, I just spoke to someone who said I had cancer. And when I was diagnosed, uh, that put me down to rethink my whole life. And I have friends here as well who, who are doing this while Corona. And they're saying we've worked so much. This is the first time we've hit pause. 
um, and we, we start thinking about our lives for the last 10 years. And this is reorientating us. And we are thinking about where actually we, are we heading? What is our sense of life? What are the deeper questions and, and how can we find answers to them? So, so yes, I do meet people who say, I have experienced that because of the dark times I have been through, um, my life has come to a different tra trajectory and um, and something positive has come out of it. And I think, yes, sometimes God wants to use um, the the times that are not so good in our, in our lives to kind of like a wake up call to say, where is your life heading? What of the of all the things that you put your trust in is actually trustworthy? It's quite interesting in Germany. We have um, had a lot of, lot of discussion in our society about what can we hope in. Um, our our president actually made um, yeah very very interesting Easter speech. He said we've always tried to get higher and faster and quicker and and to become more wealthy and all of that. And we thought we were safe in this. And now this coronavirus has um, has shown us this was just an illusion. Very interesting, I think. So, um, so I, I do think yes, sometimes God may use hard times, like for example the coronavirus, to um, to point point us to Him, maybe to point us to what life is is really all about. Um, so these are some of the answers, but again because the question is so such a heavy question, I don't think this is an answer for, for all the suffering we see in the world. So ultimately I need to say, I don't know when it comes to the why, I don't know. But what I do know is that I believe in a God who was ready to, didn't just remain in the distance and sitting on the clouds uh, like a grandpa and, and through some, um, some sweets at us, but he, he really came down and he was ready to get his feet and his hand dirty and to experience torture, to experience betrayal, to experience hate and, and everything that, that we, we know and we experience. So if that's the case, if, if he was ready to engage in all this, then might it be worthwhile to trust him that even though I don't have all the answers to this question, he will then make something good out of it. And because of Jesus who died and then rose from the death, I believe that he, he ultimately won over the evil. He won over death. So there is, there is amazing hope for me um, that yes, I believe that one day God is going to restore this whole earth, that it's not just in vain, everything we do. You know, I, I know you do so much good for other people and that's really important for you. But if, you know, if this world would just crash, if it just crashed into, into the dark hole one day, then all that would ultimately be in vain. But I believe that God will restore this whole earth and that all the things that are beautiful and good and worthwhile here, they will prevail in a way. So God will, will, will take all this um, and, and turn it into something so much greater and so much better. And we will still, still be us, but we will be transformed beings. So our personality and the beauty of what you do and who you are will, will be there as well. But again, we will be transformed. For me, 
this is actually an amazing motivation. Um, with a few friends of mine, I have started this little um, charity and we are trying to help students in Peru to get a higher education. Um, and so far we have, at the moment, we have 17 students in our program. This is nothing compared to millions of people only in Lima in the, in the capital of Peru. So for me, if I didn't have the hope of Jesus, I would be like, oh, this is just a drop in the ocean. It's in vain. Why should I even start it? But because I know that Jesus one day will kind of transform everything and that he will use what I'm doing now, I can be part of his story now. So, so it's all worthwhile. It's all, it's not in vain. He sees it and he will use it and, and I can be part of his story. So for me, that's an amazing motivation. Also for climate, you know, climate change. Yes, it's so important that we, we do, we work for against climate change because God created this world and he will renew it. So everything we do now is not in vain. It's worthwhile. It's so much more, more worthwhile than if this world just colluded, colluded into the black hole one, well, in a million years. Um, so, so that's this amazing hope that I have, and that helps me um, in the face of suffering as well. Does that, do you want to come back on that or? Yeah. Um... It's, yeah, I like it. I like it. And especially the story that you're telling that, um, that you're helping like 17 students. It's definitely not in vain, even if uh, Jesus wouldn't transform it. It's still 17 people who get to have a better future. And like, that's so beautiful. Like, how could you ever see that as something in vain? Because it's only 17 people instead of a million. So, yeah, yeah, well, just... <laughs> yeah, I guess just being aware of the scope of the suffering, it can sometimes be so overwhelming and you think, oh, what, what is it that I can do? Um, so I think, yes, you're right. Absolutely. Every life counts. It does. Um, and then to see the beauty of Jesus saying, yes, every life counts and I make it even more worthwhile counting. That, that adds to me, definitely. And, yeah. and helps me against frustration that I sometimes experience, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I have one more question. And um, I actually don't know, um, like, the correct answer to this, but um, people that do not believe in uh, Jesus and in God, uh, but are good people, do they still go to heaven or... I, I don't really know what happens to those in, in the Christian story. Yeah, and this is a question about God's morality, isn't it? So um, why would he let good people go to hell in a way? Is that kind of the scope of your question? Yeah, but it's not really like that because I don't know if uh, you actually have to believe in God to go to heaven or just be a good person. Yeah, um, so I think as we shared before, um, it, can we actually say I'm a good person? Um, obviously, yes, I haven't murdered anyone, but I've, but then I don't know. <laughs> so I was reading this biography of um, 
a lady whose son was involved in um, in, a, in a high school shooting uh, in America, actually. And she described um, how her son had come to this point. And obviously there were a lot of questions that she couldn't answer. But um, one of the things that they knew about this particular boy was that um, he had been bullied a lot in school. So, um, so the people who were involved in bullying him, they would always say, oh, you know, I have never murdered anyone. I'm actually quite a good person. Um, but then these few words that I might have said, they had a ripple effect. Now, were they responsible for this? I don't know, but it seems like, yes, they had a share of responsibility in this. And then, you know, this is my, my phone, my, my iPhone. Um, and I know, and I don't know, but I do, I do know, and I should know how many children have been involved uh, in, in creating this. Um, what was the, yeah, the, the environment for the people who had to, had to build this phone? I know it wasn't a good one. Uh, what about my clothes? I mean, I try to wear a lot of secondhand and this is actually secondhand, but, um, but well, my shoes today, my jeans is fair trade, but then my, my shoes today, I'm not. Um, so, and I just bought them because I wanted a new pair of shoes. And that's fair enough. It's nice because I live in a first world country, but what are the effects of this, of my living like this for other people? I know. And if I don't know, I can read up about it. So I can't say um, I'm, I'm not guilty. So, so to make this distinction between good people and bad people, I, I don't think um, is realistic because in a way we are all involved. We are, we are all hurt, but we also hurt others. And we are involved in what you might want to call systematic injustice, just because all of us here on this call live in a first world country. Um, so I, I can't say of myself, I'm a good person. I have good and evil in myself and my life have good and evil consequences. And just because I'm helping a few people in Peru, um, yeah, that's great, <laughs> maybe. Um, but, and I, it doesn't make up for some of the evil I have done. It's, I, I don't see it as things make up for it. It's just, it, it, it's both there. It's both there. The, the justice I do and the injustice that steams out of my life. It's both there. So the question is, how do we deal with this? And how can we reconcile this with God who's holy? And, um, and I do think, as I said before, that Jesus offers this way of saying, you can never make up. Um, but to re-enter this relationship, that is the life-giving relationship with God, I am the way, I can make the way, I can, I, I'm the path. So for me, being with God and being part of the new creation, or as some people call it heaven, um, is, is not about good and evil deeds. It's ultimately about, do I have this relationship? You know, it's like, I, I love to go climbing to the mountains. <laughs> and, um, and one of the things you really need 
for a good climb is you need a good solid rope because if you fall that's that's your life uh, <laughs> insurance um so the question is what is a good rope for my life who can who can give me that rope who can give me the hand and pull me through at the end of my life and i don't think my good deeds can do that um, if I just tie my, road, my, my life to my good deeds and my ability to be nice and to be amazing, I think this is not a reliable rope because, yeah, it, it's just going to go down the roof. Um, so, so here's Jesus who says, I've lived the life that you should have lived. I've done all the good things. And when I read about it, I think, yes, he really <laughs> did that. And I died the death that you should have died. So I am the reliable rope. And, and I, I can pull you through um, to, from, from death to life. So it's, it's a very different view. And I do think, as I said before, that God offers this relationship to everyone. Jesus says, yes, I want to be your lifeline, your rope, um, no matter whether you're good or whether you're evil. So in a way, it's the most inclusive message in the world. It's very inclusive. Um, and everyone can come. Um, but then I do think God takes us serious and he takes our decisions serious. So I don't think that if someone constantly says, no, God, I don't want anything to do with you. God is going to come at the end uh, of your life and say, well, you said no, but now you've got to spend eternity with me. So, so I do think he takes our decisions serious. That's also um, part of the privilege that he's given us. That's part of our, our worth as human beings, that he takes us serious. Now, you might want to say, what about all the people that were not able to make that decision? Because, I don't know, they grew up in Saudi Arabia or they had brain damage or whatever it might be. Again, I want to say I'm an agnostic on that question. Um, what I do know about God is that he's fair. So I don't think there'll be anyone who at the end of, of the times will say, oh, but God didn't really take me serious or God didn't give me the opportunity to get to know him in the, in the way that I could, say, make a decision. Um, so I think God, God is fair. That's his character. Now, how he does that with everyone else, in a way, is not on my desk. So there are things that are on my desk and things that are on God's desk. And I think God's story with everyone else is on God's desk. And that's why it's good. Um, but on my desk is the question, how am I with God? And I mean, the just that we, the three of us, are able to have that conversation now uh, is a sign of the fact that, yes, we are able to think about these things, to ask these questions. I'm sorry, as you said, that we didn't have the opportunity to ask these questions before. Um, so, so, yes, I do think Christians make a lot of mistakes there. But, um, but maybe it's a way of God, God trying to take you into his arms and, and of God saying, I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> because he, you know, he made you friends with Janelle and, and you are on this journey now, um, which I very much appreciate your, I mean, that takes a lot of bravery as well to ask these questions. So, you know, this is on my desk. 
how am I with God and what do I want to say to Jesus is he trustworthy or is he not trustworthy and then and then with all the other people that's in a way on God's desk and because he is good and because he loves everyone I know trust him with them is that an answer yeah it, it's come back <laughs> um yeah so like in your view you can only like really have uh go to heaven if you have a relationship with with uh jesus and with god but for example i've heard someone say like when i'm on my deathbed i'm just gonna convert to every religion there is on this earth so that at least i end up somewhere <laughs> <laughs> well go and try <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> well that's an interesting one um a because you never know when you're dying and how much time you have you have a lot of time if you want to religion <laughs> i guess um and then um and then this is how religion work it's how religion works well most religion work in the way that you do all the good things you tick all the boxes and then you enter heaven um but it's actually only in christianity that you are able to say on your deathbed whatever i did god i commit this to you uh jesus i put it to the cross um yes i've been a sinner or i didn't want anything to do with you but i do now and um And it's actually a very Christian view that you're able to, to do that. Um, and, and it comes from a story that we have, again, in Luke's gospel, where Jesus was crucified um, next to two people. And one of them in his death keeps mocking Jesus. But the other one says, Jesus, think of me when you enter your kingdom, when you come into paradise. And Jesus says, today you'll be there with me. So just this little expression of trust, think of me, was enough. Um, and, and with all the other religions, you'd, you know, that would be karma or in, in, um, in the Muslim faith, God will put every, the good deeds and the bad things on a balance, so to say. So it wouldn't be enough to convert in your last moment. I think it's only in Christianity that you actually have that opportunity um, and it's not just signing a contract again this is about faith is always about trust do you really trust Jesus do you do you want want him to be that road for me um, so I don't I don't think it works also I want to say if you if you only say yes to Jesus on your deathbed you've missed so much throughout your life Because, you know, for me, this is not about, in a way, it's not about life and death. It's about life and life. Because following Jesus, for me, has been the most amazing thing in my life. He's the most trustworthy person. He's the one who loves me most. He's the one, well, just the most beautiful person I've ever encountered. So I wouldn't want to miss a single minute with him in this life um and then yeah i yeah I, i do believe that he'll take me through death to another life but um 
that's just the cherry on, on, on the cake, so to say. <laughs> but it's not. But, um, but you'd miss so much if you only say yes to him at the end of your life. You'd miss a life of, of amazing adventure and of having that person of Jesus in your life. Yeah. Is that helpful? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I so enjoyed this. <laughs> Thanks for your thoughtful questions and your your comments. You know, I always think it helps. I don't know how you feel about this, Janelle, but but it helps. It helps me as well to think things through. Um, as I said, this is a journey, and we do this together. Um, so so I I love your your input and and your your thoughtful questions and yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. So uh, I'm going to ask one real brief question, and Dagmar has a very final question, which you've answered before, Yulia, but we've got it for you again. Um, and just to add on to what Yulia said, like, I, I love how you described that, you know, God takes us seriously. Uh, and you're going to read this if you read the Gospel of John, um, Dagmar, but Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, no one comes to the Father except through me. And... Um, and I totally agree with what Yulia just said. Like, it's not just uh, the eternity part, right? You and I talked about that in your episode when we recorded just you and I, Dagmar. Like, uh, it is the restoration and the authenticity and the love uh, that he alone offers. Um, for those of us who've experienced that, there's nothing like it. And so, Yulia, just real quick, kind of going back to... Um, what Dagmar said in our episode where she said, you know, I've never seen him. I've never seen him. What encouragement would you give to her as she's going through this journey? Or are there any resources that you would point her to or, or to someone who's listening who maybe has that same longing? Like if he's real, I want to know, but I haven't, I haven't encountered that yet. Mm. Yeah. So I think, um, if, I guess quite a few things, um, I think I would encourage you to, I think you grew up in a Catholic um, sort of environment and you said mass was really boring. <laughs> I, I so relate to that. Um, but there are other communities, other Christian communities who are not boring. And um, and maybe just um, go and have a look at them and connect to them and ask them as well, how do you experience Jesus? And um, I very often experienced Jesus when I, yeah, when I was, we call it worship, like singing songs or, or in community. Um, but then also I think I always say to people, why don't you pray the, pre the skeptic's prayer? <laughs> so to say, well, God, if you are there and Jesus, if you are real, show yourself to me. Um, and then I don't know what happens, but I do think, you know, if he loves us so much and he is really interested in us, then I think he'd answer that prayer. I don't know in which way. Uh, but I guess surprising ways. <laughs> um, but that's something that, yeah, we can do. If if God is not real, then nothing will happen. So no harm, harm done. Uh, but he, if he is, then that might take you on a on an interesting journey. Yeah, I think I, I yeah. actually experienced something because I was having like a, kind of like a mental breakdown at night. And um, Janelle told me to just pray, to just uh, like, um uh, make myself known to him so i asked him to like give me the strength 
to get through it. And then um, I fell asleep. And the next morning I was woken up uh, by music on my phone. And there was all of these like inspirational songs and motivational songs that just fit completely in what I needed at that moment. So I really thought that that could be a sign that that really was him. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing, that's so beautiful. And, and I love that about Jesus, he connects to us very personally. Um, yeah, so it's not following a textbook, um, it's very personal because he's interested in you on a very personal level. So he knows what you need. Yeah. yeah. I actually you. started crying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he loves you. He totally does. <laughs> And he sees you, Dagmar. You're not hidden from him. He already knew you. You know, you're not making yourself known to him. You're saying, Lord, I, I want to know. I want to know you. Because he's closer than, than you realize. And yeah, I think that's the beauty as well. That we can come in our weakest point. You know, we don't have to um, dress up for him or be strong for him but he's just there, yeah, in the middle of our emotions. And and he's rejoicing over you. So I was reading this, um, um, yeah, there's, there's a verse in the Bible where it says, God, God delights in you. He, when he thinks of you, he rejoices over you. And I think he does that. Maybe that's why he was playing music to you, <laughs> to show you how much he rejoices in you. Mm. Yeah. No. Thank you for sharing that. That means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. I'm going to be praying that he just keeps on, uh, as you keep on opening yourself up to him, that he just keeps on sharing you with exactly that. Like, and says to you, Dagmar, I see you. You've never been hidden from me. Yeah. How are you doing now? You said that you were having a, a mental breakdown. Are you doing okay? Or Yeah, I'm doing okay. I just cry really easily. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got the last question, so uh, oh, yeah. we're waiting yeah, on you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay, uh, Ilya, the Finding Something Real podcast is a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love of those four gifts that we can find in a relationship with Jesus Christ, which of those stand out to, uh, to you the most in your life right now? Can you repeat them? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> a restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. I think at the moment is restoration. Mm. I think I find all four of them, obviously, uh, in Jesus. And then... Um, They've spoken to me in different ways in different times of my life. At the moment, it's restoration. Um, do you want to know why? I guess you do. I would like to know. You yes. don't have to share if you don't want to. No, no, no. It's, that's okay. So, um, so um, the organization I work with, um, it's actually going through a very big crisis because there was um, a sexual abuse, a case of sexual abuse, Um from the, the founder and the leader of, of that organization. 
Um, and it's, it's so horrific to learn about the things that he did and um, to kind of, you know, this is in America, I'm in Germany, in a way I'm far away, but then it's sort of, you feel ashamed by association and you feel guilty by association as well. Um, and, um, and I have um, accompanied uh, quite a few girls um, who have suffered sexual abuse. So I know the trauma it causes. Um, and so to think about this is just, um, it's devastating. It's really, really devastating. Um, and there was one particularly late lady that um, was, this, this man um, tried to um, engage with and she spoke out about it and um, she wasn't believed in and the organization didn't believe her. I only heard about it vaguely, but um, the story I was told sounded, um, sounded okay for me and I didn't ask any further question questions so um so I, I didn't believe her either although I know that there is so is so often that wrong is done to women because they're not believed and only very few women speak up about these sort of traumas anyway so it's so important and vital that we do believe in them actually and and yeah and Jesus is all about justice um and and I didn't um and my colleague from from Africa, South Africa, he has just um, contacted this lady to, to apologize and to say sorry. And she was so, I wasn't part of the conversation, but he told, told us about this. Um, she was so, so full of grace. Um, he said, um, the words she spoke, they just washed me. Uh, she said, yes, this was really bad and she suffered a lot from it. Um, but she believes in forgiveness and she's, she said, you who were far away, you're also victims of what happened. And she says, um, I, I do want to um, get to know your team and I'm praying for you and is there any way of how I can help you? So when, and there were other things um, he told us about that conversation and, and she's written a block on it. So that's why I, I can actually share about this. Um, it, it just really made me cry because, um, yeah, I think it's, again, it's only in Jesus that um, someone can be from this bad and this evil that was done to her um, to, to get to a point where she's able to extend grace to us. We were kind of become guilty by association. Um, that for me is an amazing restoration and forgiveness. Um, and I've been very, very touched by this. Yeah. So I, I don't know whether that's understandable. <laughs> um, but yeah. So, and that's also my big hope when I look at this world and I look at people that I accompany, um, look at this big scandal, um, that Jesus will one day restore it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, Dagmar from the Netherlands, Julia Garshagen from Germany. This has been a wonderful conversation. Just appreciate it. I appreciate the authenticity here. Um, 
and I, I'm just very grateful. I'm grateful that, uh, that God made both of you because uh, both of you are blessing my life, and I just appreciate both of you very much. So until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting co-hosts to join me to share their personal stories and to ask their honest questions about the Christian faith. Each month, we hope to feature a different co-host and together invite guests on to share from their own faith journeys and experiences. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all about what's so great about Jesus, I hope you come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.